6.02, and we're just going to be starting. Hi, everyone. I missed you all last month. I hope you had a good evening without me. Believe me, I was thinking about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a couple things to share with you. Um, you mind if I just interrupt for the attendance? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No problem. We're eager to jump into it. Please. Yes, Brenda, you might take attendance. <laughs> yes. Um, Lorita Mellon? Present. Rachel Hardy Jr.? Present. Serena Clayton? Present. B. Franks Walker? Present. Tammy Wosell? Will be late. Mark Smith? Will be late. Derek Turner? Will be late. Ali Yassin? Will not be joining us tonight. We have a quorum. Thank you. <coughs> So, um, uh, the California Department of Social Services, uh, at the end of last year, um, gave a huge grant to uh, in-home supportive service workers. It was for training for these um, people that take care of you know, in-home services. And um, the training, there's over, I think, 200 classes. I've taken probably 40 of them already. Some of them are an hour and a half, Some of them, because I do in-home support services as well. And some of them are three hours long, and they're on so many different topics. Excellent, excellent topics, such as medication management, how to help um, a consumer with incontinence, um, heart attack and diabetes control, um, dementia, sundowning. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's wonderful. And um, the neat thing is that uh, after so many classes that you take, you get uh, a stipend. So it's an encouragement for these in-home support service workers to do it. Uh, the going rate is eighteen fifty-five an hour now, so they get paid $18.55 an hour to take these classes. And they get a certificate as well. And then after you take so many, there's a $500 incentive. And, you know, different incentives, right? This program has been so successful that they can hardly keep enough classes going. I mean, so many people are taking them from here all the way down to San Diego. You know, there's people from all different areas. And, um, I'm really super impressed and excited. If you know anyone that has uh, an in-home caregiver, you should definitely, if they don't know about this, they really should get on board with this program. It's, it's just wonderful. Not only will they learn a lot, but um, they'll get an incentive, a monetary incentive to do it too. And um, it just makes them a better uh, caregiver and uh, I'm, I'm just thankful that our governor chose to do that. So kudos to him, or kudos are due. And then um, I don't know how many of you have heard about the transitional housing that um, opened up on Treasure Island recently. And that's part of San Francisco's homeless population. But um, it was very interesting because they did a, um, I watched a segment on it, and the reason that they feel that this program is going to be so much more successful than other programs 
is because they're actually removing the people from the areas of San Francisco where they lived before. And so they um, aren't around the tenderloin where they're seeing people do drugs on the street and different things like this. I think it's a much better environment for them. And not only, um, these are for people that have already gone through a 90-day substance abuse program, and now they need to go somewhere to live, transitional housing. And so they put them in these little homes, they're tiny homes, they're very nice. They give them job training, they give them mental health, um, if, if that's what they need, or if they need substance abuse continued, substance abuse support, they give them that. And just really, um, I was really impressed with what they're doing. So kudos to that. And then um, Alameda opened up a section of tiny homes for transitional housing recently too. And um, they call it Integrity Village. I think that's the name of it. And it, once again, they're brand new little tiny homes. And I'm very impressed. I mean, I've been so impressed since I saw the ones up at Fairmont at, of how well these little homes are made and how it just will meet their needs so perfectly, you know? Um, the little kitchenettes and shower and just, it's just wonderful, you know? And I, I could just imagine, it makes my heart so happy to think how these people must feel once they get into those places, you know? And to actually have a place to lay their head and a roof over their head. And so I'm excited. And there's more coming. Um, BART is also giving up part of their land in the Rockridge area to build another set of tiny homes. So, you know, um, health care is, and home care are related. Can't have one without the other. So, that's exciting. Um, let's see. I think that's all I have to share. Oh, um, also, to let everyone know, Ali um, Yasin has given his resignation, and we've accepted it. That he will no longer be on the board with us. And I think that's it. Um, since some of our members have walked in while you were checking in, um, we can acknowledge that they're here. Hi, Tammy. And who else? And Mark. Mark. Oh, Mark. Hi, Mark. Mark. <laughs> I know you, Mark. <laughs> I know you very well. <laughs> okay. Um, so, were there any questions? Anyone have any questions or comments about that? I just get very excited when I see things going in that direction. So I hope you I hope that gives you a little ray of hope as well. Okay. Uh, let's go on to our items here. Uh, let's see. We need to um, approve the minutes from our meeting. Okay. If you'd like, because the for consent agenda, you can do that as one motion unless you'd like to. Oh, okay. We have two items there. Okay, and and to also do the um, the uh, summer approval of the co-sponsorship. Approval. Okay. So I move to approve the minutes from April 11th class with the board meeting and to approve the co-sponsorship of the summer solstice today. I second. Um, I will call your name for the vote and please state yes or no. Lorita Mallon? Yes. 
Richard Harvey Jr. Yes. Serena Clayton. Yes. B. Franks Walker. Yes. Tammy Wolfstown. Yes. Mark Smith. Yes. The motion passed. Thank you. The flyer for the summer solstice is in our packets here. Um, I know she went last year, and I went last year. It's definitely open. Yes. Um, the thing I want to say about this year, this it's going to be hosted in um, at First Presbyterian Church in Gaylord Castle Valley, the borderline there. This pastor is um, a fabulous man who has been working on behalf of the homeless for years and years and years. And it started by him taking in a parishioner of his, and then from there, it just opened up his eyes to a vision of, of housing and feeding and and uh, working with the homeless. So he's a, a really, really wonderful, wonderful man. So if you can attend this, um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. It should be quite enjoyable. And we're gonna be one of the sponsors this year. So that's exciting. I'm glad we're gonna do that. What is the date? Um, the date is June 21st. Um, they have down noon to one, but it, it, it's usually longer than that. You know, because they give you, they give lunch they last year. Provide lunch. Yeah, they provide lunch, and then you and hear people awards. speak. You hear, um, and they give out awards, the hero awards, and uh, that's always very touching. So, mark your calendars if you can make it. That would be wonderful. Okay. Um. What's our next item? I I don't have it on this paper for it's, some reason. It's on the second page. Is it? The main page. The main page. Back here? No. I can look at it. Right there. Oh, this one? Yep. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay, so uh, we're on item C. So we have our medical director report, Dr. Francis. Thanks so much. It's so awesome to be like in a small room again. Uh, it's like reminds me of the one month meeting I think I was at pre-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> it started my job one month before yes. the pandemic started. So, uh, And then the one I was at in March was in a bigger room, but then I feel like the ones that we used to have were like in smaller settings like this where you, I don't know. This is where we used to have the patient advisory meetings also. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's really cool to meet uh, Serena and Tammy for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I just had a, a few things I wanted to talk about um, briefly the about the end of the emergency federally. So um, on Thursday, I think officially will be the end of the federal public health emergency for the COVID pandemic. And I think one of the most important implications, I'm not sure if we've talked about yet, um, on the coffee reports, I just wanted to bring it up, which is that um, during the COVID pandemic, people's Medi-Cal just got extended, right, right, uh, automatically, and now we're going to go back to having a process for redetermination um, over the next fourteen months or so, and um, a lot of people don't know that. So you know, I, I think this is just a good venue for us to remember that, um, for us to know there are people out there that are saying you, you know, have to pay to to get um, back on Medi-Cal and trying to scam people. So know that it's an entirely free process in our county and other counties. Essentially, you can 
get up, get in touch with the social services agency and find out, you know, what's your current status and what would you need to do to, to make sure that you keep your Medi-Cal. And so that's the main thing to recommend folks to do and um, not to pay anyone any money to, to get it done. Alameda Alliance sent out um, just a whole um, bunch of letters telling people about the same thing and how make sure you renew, make sure you do what you need to do, you know. So that was good. I was, that was a, a good on their part, you know, because most of our members are, aren't they, Alliance? Yes. Yeah, that's the majority. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so Alameda Alliance, and I think, you know, all of us, you know, are, are in, in, in the healthcare world and the social services world are trying to put out the message and, and share with folks. Right. Um, you guys are doing a great job. My parents received notifications. So. Oh, good. Are they Alameda? making this round. Alameda Alliance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I was very impressed with what they sent out. Good. You guys are on top of things. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is just that tomorrow um, is a big day. We have two things that are happening um, that I think are following up on long-standing topics here with the um, relationship between the co-applicant board and the board of trustees of Alameda Health System. So in the morning, um, Loretta. Um, and the chair for the Board of Trustees, Kinkini Banerjee, and myself are going to be doing a site visit at, um, at the Oak Days uh, facility, which is a, a permanent supportive housing uh, facility to support people who actually are eligible for skilled nursing facilities. Right. Um, so it's really one of our kind of most amazing, um, you know, uh, new things that came out of the, the COVID pandemic mm -hmm. is having um, housing that supports folks who are homeless and for one reason or another, the skilled nursing facility system did not work well for them. Um, and it's just been a, a really amazing place and an amazing partner of ours um, at Alameda Health System. And so this is the first, we hope the first in a series of trying to do regularly, we don't know exactly how frequently, but some um, site visits with staff, our partners um, from Alameda Health System, and then one or two members of the co-applicant board and the board of trustees to try to build relationships with the, with the board of trustees and really to try to just help us all, you know, stay grounded in the places and, and with, the, with the partners where we do our work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping that, you know, over the next year, like everyone will be able, will want to, everyone who wants to, will be able to uh, attend, you know, one of these um, site visits and we can you know, schedule accordingly for, for folks. Um, so really excited about that. And then uh, tomorrow night is the Board of Trustees meeting, and um, I'll be giving an update on the um, Homeless Health Center at the Board of Trustees meeting. I think it was, I think, May of last year that I gave an update as well. Um, but I did. I, I just saw the notes on that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's at the invitation of, of Trustee uh, Banerjee, who's the chair of the Board of Trustees. And I think it'll be an opportunity to, you know, just talk about the very general overview of the homeless health center and our importance within Alameda health system and then talk about the role of the co-applicant board and I think um, I'm going to dig into a little bit of the conversation that, that you all had at the last meeting where I wasn't present around um, you know how it's changing how we're going to approve our but what kind of budgets we have to see and 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 the uh, kinds of budgets that we would like to see so that we can approve them um, with the co-applicant board so I'm going to I'm going to go into that issue a little bit with them just to help them understand and, and see if we can move that work forward, which we've been progressing on quite a bit. I think moving toward a fiscal year budget 
um, getting the FQHC entity, you know, financials reported separately. I mean, these are big, big changes that we've just accomplished in the last year that have been a lot of work from our finance team. And so we want to kind of continue the momentum toward um, really giving this board a, a strong voice in, um, in, you know, governing the care that we provide to people experiencing homelessness. Um, so uh, I probably won't go on until, I don't know, I imagine it'll be after 6.45 or 7. I, I do F on the agenda. Um, but as many of you as can attend can we, can on, we get a link? we'll send out the link. Yeah, as many of you can attend virtually is great. And then what I might ask Heather to do is just send an email out like 10 minutes before I'm likely to go on. So you don't necessarily oh, have to yeah. sit on the link and you can just check your email um, and then, you know, come on when, it, when it's time to come on. Good. Um, but, you know, any and all of you can attend. It would be fantastic to, to have. Great. Um, and that's that's the end of my report. I'm taking any questions on any of that. What time did you say it was? Well, the meeting starts at 5.30, I believe. Oh, five. No, five. You're right. It's at, it's at five. But I probably won't be on for an hour and a half into the meeting. So um, item, item F. Um, it'll be down the hall right there if you want to come in. Oh, down the hallway? Yeah. And there's a Zoom link that we'll send out to you. Are you going to talk about what we're going to do tomorrow, or is that a separate thing? Um, we will have done what we're doing tomorrow by the time of the meeting in the afternoon. Um, and so I, I think Trustee Banerjee might bring it up. Oh, yeah, I, might, yeah, I might reference sure. it a little bit, but um, I think um, it'll just be a small part if we do bring it up. Okay. We talk about. Okay. That's my update. That's all I got. Okay. Um, our next item D is um, the mortality report that David um, Mordersbach is going to share with us. It's been a year, I think, since he shared this report, if I'm not mistaken. Hi. It's... Hi. Hi. Can you all hear me okay? Is that yes. working? Great. Um, it is working. Um, David, did you want to share or do you want me to share? Yeah, I would, I would prefer to share. That, that'll probably just be easier. Okay, yeah. I'm going to release my screen to you. There you go. Looking good. Good. Let's see if I've got it all together. Here we go. Get that going. And, yeah, just start out by saying... Um, Thank you all that I'm really excited that you all, um, oh, I know, I'll share something different first. I'm really excited that folks um, are gonna be, um, the AHS co-applicant board is um, gonna be co a co-sponsor of the um, summer solstice celebration of the strength and resilience of people experiencing homelessness. Um, that, we do these two really important events in coordination every year um, with the solstice, the winter solstice. We mourn the deaths of um, and losses of people experiencing homelessness, and we vow to, to make changes to, to reduce those deaths and that loss. And in the summer, we celebrate the strength and resilience of people experiencing homelessness. Um, and I think 
having that regular rhythm for our work is is very healthy not only for us not only to center our work and give us direction to to work to reduce mortality and to improve resilience but also it's a healthy thing for us as providers in that work to be able to acknowledge death and growth and life in in our in our work so um really excited that that that's going to be happening and that you all are going to again be a part of that and invite the the co-applicant board like they did last year to um give a speech and help bring people together and celebrate folks um i will go to my powerpoint now we'll talk a little bit about homeless mortality um Homeless, I'm going to give it just an overview of how we do our homeless mortality report, talk a little bit about the findings, and um, probably talk a little bit more um, in a little bit more depth about um, the, the wave of drug-related overdose deaths that are happening and how we're trying to respond to that as, as a health center and as a county. Um, and back to the overall focus of just how, how are we using, how are we understanding data and learning about mortality in our work to, um, to drive our, the way that we do our work. Um, homeless mortality reporting. This is the second year that Alameda County has released a um, homeless mortality report. Last year, we did a three-year um, retrospective and we're, our goal is now every year we're going to re release the next year's report. Um, and it, it, it is a way of looking at and, I, and I, identifying who died while experiencing homelessness in our county. Um, and we also, through the way that we do it, we can learn also about the deaths of people who recently experienced homelessness and, and who died after being permanently housed. And we can also, we also end up with a with a, a a large number of people who had a recent history of homelessness, but for whom it was not possible to determine if they are actually technically homeless at the time of death or not. So those are the three kind of main categories of people that were that we as we do this report. And I'll, and that report is available on our website, um, Healthcare for the Homeless. We have a homeless mortality page with those two reports on it, the 2021 and the 2020 report. Um, it feels really funny to be talking about a 2021 and just releasing last month a 2021 homeless report in 2023. And um, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we wait until the dust settles, until all of the deaths are in the systems and accounted for and investigations are done, number one. And that's that means that we have to be at least six months or so behind the end of the year if we're going to do a year report. Um, the other reason that this takes so long is because um, things are still kind of moving slow in, in our county and systems aren't all really there. So all that information can be at hand and very easy to do rapidly. Um, and towards that end, one of one of our big concerns is to improve coordination and communication um, with our, our coroner's office. Alameda County, um, the way the the way that a, a, a 
many uh, counties or jurisdictions around the country, uh, the way that they look at their their mortality, their deaths, is through an institution called the um, Office of the Medical Examiner. And a medical examiner is a trained professional, an MD level um, uh, doctor, pathologist, who whose office looks at all of the deaths around the um, around in that jurisdiction and analyzes those, not just people experiencing homelessness, the general population, um, aging people, children, violence, domestic violence, accidents. There's and there's. It's a really important function of a county is to be able to look at the deaths of its of its people of its residents, and and determine how they can re, how it, how that that county can reduce those deaths. Alameda County has another type of system which is um, unfortunately too common, and that's a um, coroner a sheriff's based court office of the coroner. Um, which is an elected position, and a coroner is appointed by that elected um, person. And a coroner does not have um, special requirements such as um, an MD level or special special training. Um, and a coroner only investigates um, suspicious or unattended deaths. Um, so we, what we don't have in our county at this time is a comprehensive way to really learn, analyze, and learn from from mortality in our county. Um, so we're we we're trying, doing our best to try to do our part to learn and bring the, that those data sources together. And what we're doing in Alameda County is is pretty um, cutting edge for the country. We're also part of of a movement to um, in, in localities across the country to really closely um, catch and analyze and review the deaths of people experiencing homelessness so we can learn at a local level and share data and um, drive policy change at a larger state and national level. Um, so talking about, about our report, how we do our report is is pretty interesting and so i'm going to just spend a little bit talking about that the way that we do our our reporting is through analysis and da data matching and data analysis we start off and so the so we don't wait for someone to tell us who died in homelessness um that's our goal and that's one of the goals that we have in california we've, we've made a lot of progress actually on the california level to where the state of California now requires on a on a death certificate on a death death certificate for the reporter to try to report what was their housing status were they homeless at the time of death, but that's just getting started in the last couple of years. Um, so we have to do investigation at this time. The way that we do that is through data matching. We start off with a list of people that we knew were experiencing homelessness in the past five years. Uh, we get that list through our county social health information exchange, the SHE, um, HMIS, the um, the housing management information system. That's people that are getting shelter or housing services um, that are HUD funded. Um, we get data from Healthcare for the Homeless, including the um, the Alameda Health System um, Health Homeless Health Center, and. Put that information together with a long list of people that we know are homeless, and we bump that against the California death records or death certificate system, 
um, of people that we know were dead, that died in 2021. And we match those names and we get a long list of people that have that have had some experience of homelessness in the last five years. And then we actually then we add to that people that we know died in homelessness from community providers. Um, the coroner's office gives us names us some people that they that they believe died in homelessness. Um, we look through the media for, for um, reports of people that of people experiencing homelessness that died and um, get the we have a website where, where community uh, members can can um, and input names of people they know died in homelessness. And then we just match the data and analyze each individual death. We'll go through a list of, in, in this case, it was about, for 2021, it was about 750 names of people that possibly died in homelessness. We go through that. We look at the death records. Um, we look closelier at their HMIS records or their other records and make a decision. We also search through the death records and see if those records contain keywords or references that relate to homelessness, such as died, you know, under a dumpster or behind a bus stop or um, by cause of death, exposure or something like that. So you can see some words and get some clues. Then with that, we try to look and try to tell the story by looking at death record uh, information and determine, number one, were they, do we decide that they were homeless at the time of death? Um, were they recently housed at the time of death or could we just not tell those three kind of categories? We also make a determination by looking at those death records um, where they actually where they actually died or where they're actually injured and died. Um, many people, many people experiencing homelessness don't die in a hospital or, you know, obviously they die in different locations. They can die on the streets, in an encampment, in a homeless shelter, in a nursing facility, um, a, a different kind of program in a motel, staying with a friend or family. Um, so we try to look at the record and kind of say, where did they actually die? Um, because what that'll tell us is if, did they have an a unattended death? You know, most people, we want to die in a comfortable place, maybe with doctors and nurses around to support us. Maybe we wanna die with family and friends in a peaceful place. We generally don't wanna die in a motel or a, or a shelter or on the streets or in a setting like that. And we wanna to try to find out where they actually, what's the location. And we also wanna determine the city where they were last actually living, not where did they die. They died in, a, you know, if you if you look at the list of all, of all Alameda County deaths, it says residence, you know, for people experiencing homelessness, there's so many people that whose, whose place of residence when they died was Highland Hospital, you know, that's obviously not where they live. Where did they die? We do a little bit of investigation. Where were they living before they died? Um, and that gives us a better way of, of talking about um, where, you know, of, of the people who died. Um, so this is a lot of work. But it's innovative and it really helps us get more accurate information. It also makes our numbers appear higher than other localities that might just be rely on, on, on okay, we do our report based on what the coroner's office tells us who is homeless or not. So we're going to find out, we're going to investigate, find out a lot more details.
Um, and then once we have those determinations made, then we can analyze um, records that are generally in the death record, demographics, race, ethnicity, sex, age, underlying causes of death. Everybody who dies, there's a, there's a cause of death. It's called underlying cause of death, which is like the way that what, what the doctor or the coroner or the funeral home or whoever's involved closely in the, in the death determines as the cause of death. Um, if there's an autopsy, that's how that's what's done from there. Then there's the contributing causes of death. What led also to that death? Bad weather, alcohol, drugs, use, mental illness, other types of things that, that led to that cause of death. Um, the location of death, where the location of injury was or the location of death was. And that, like we said, the city of last known residence. Um, with that information, then we can compare it to countywide death data for the general public um, that our that our epidemiology office called CAPE um, in in the health department keeps, and we can compare them. And we compare apples to apples among um, people experiencing homelessness and the general population, and that lets us calculate two things: age-adjusted mortality rates. Um, what's the, the the rate of death for certain for people um, based on their age, and second, how many potentially years of life were lost for for each death, um, and our overall findings. And this is gonna I'm gonna be looking at uh, giving a presentation about the three year stretch in you know half going halfway into COVID, um, so the 2018 to 2021. Um, and we can talk a little bit about the, the last year during 2021, but overall during those, those one, two, three, four years, um, 1,155 people experiencing homelessness at the time of death died. Um, 417 people um, died within five years of being, of being housed. And 744 people were more unknown. We don't know. We know that they were homeless in the years preceding their deaths, but we couldn't tell by looking at their records how many died. And so this this graph, the yellow, the top yellow is um, people experiencing homelessness at the time of death. The gray is um, people who were housed at the time of death but had history of homelessness. And the orange is the is those unknown. Hey, David. Yes. Um when I see the colors underneath, oh, I did that wrong. Yeah, I just wanted to confirm because it's the description on the left with the higher numbers that would have been backwards. So yeah, I got that backwards. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, no, thanks for confirming that. Yeah, this this is a hard graph because the um. The orange is the people known to be homeless at time of death. So like the last 2021, that's 346 deaths. Um, the, the gray, I'm gonna just double check my other numbers because it's interesting to get the, the exact numbers. And I can't manage that with my screen, I'm sorry. I'm going to not share that information right now. I'm just going to cause a big problem. I'm going to move on. David? Yes. How does this report compare to the one you shared with us last year? 
So these, look at the, I mean, we'll actually get into that a little bit, but the numbers went down slightly on on most all levels, on all, all three levels between um, 2020 and 2021. Um, the, the numbers of people experiencing homelessness went from about 360 to 346, um, and each of the numbers slightly went down. I think that um, people who were housed, recently homeless and housed at the time of death, that number went up slightly in the last couple of years um, and continued to go up. The reason, a, a one possible reason for that, the, the, the numbers of people dying with recent experience of, of homelessness is because there is so much more priority for permanent supportive housing for people that are extra sick. That's one of the things. And for people that are in pretty bad shape, they're going to be more prioritized for, for housing. So they're going to just, once they're moved into housing, that population of folks is going to have a higher higher rate of death. Um, and we saw that as more and more people were getting housed in the last few years that number of recently housed people dying did continue to go up. Thank you. Um, disparities wise, like the, the most the, the most striking, of course, disparity is that people experiencing homelessness have an age adjusted rate of death 5.8 times that of the general population. Um, so just overall, the rate of death, the age adjusted rate of death for people experiencing homelessness was 3,300 per 100,000 people versus 572 per 100,000 for all all residents. So it's just much more deadly to be a person experiencing homelessness. And that those racial disparities that follow homelessness are also represented in the, the mortality rates of both people experiencing homelessness and of the general population as well. Um, the rate of People experiencing homelessness um, is of, of male versus female, 62% male, um, and but still 76% of homeless deaths were among men, as opposed to 51% of the general population. As we look at the key categories of death for the last three years, and these numbers are pretty much the, the one place where there was a, a big continuing sharp change from year to year um, is among dr around drug overdose but um, almost half little less than half of, of drugs are caused by what, what one might call natural causes or acute or chronic medical conditions um, but those numbers so high are extremely unnatural but stuff like cancer, liver disease, cerebral vascular disease and heart disease is the most uh, the, the highest level. Um, interestingly, and and not not that surprisingly, the numbers. The, one of the only places that um, people experiencing homeless, the population wasn't that much different than the general population was around COVID, and I think that we can all um, look at all of the work, the mobilization that was done around COVID for people experiencing homelessness, the the housing services, the quarantine isolation, and the, the direct sharply focused support that we all did during the COVID years and congratulate ourselves for that community 
work and the impact meant that there were 15 deaths among people experiencing COVID, uh, experiencing homelessness in the first two years of COVID, and only one death among um, a person living in homeless shelter programs um, during that time. So um, pretty, pretty impressive. But during that time, we saw and continue to see a huge rise in substances, drug over, accidental drug overdoses. Um, so in these last four, three years, 30% of all homeless deaths, that's the single leading cause of death among people experiencing homelessness. We'll talk a little bit more about that. 10% um, of deaths are among around accidental injuries and collisions, um, and especially around automobile transit related deaths, people getting hit by cars in the streets and sidewalks. Um, much higher than the general population. Um, homicide, suicide, and a certain number of undetermined or under investigation deaths. Um, those are the leading causes of death. And like we mentioned um, around underlying cause of death and mortality rates, this is a really complicated um, list of the, the what's called underlying cause of deaths, the basic kind of category of death. And from top to, to bottom, led by unintentional or un, undetermined intent, accidental overdose. Um, and then if you, you can look at the numbers, how, how they changed um, over the years, but where we see that in, in Alameda County, people experiencing homelessness have a 50 times higher mortality rate than the general population, that kind of highlighted column. Then if you, as you look down at, at these causes of death by frequency among people experiencing homelessness, everywhere you look pretty much it's more there's more death among people a higher rate of death among people experiencing homelessness um, and focusing on drug overdose so 106 people died of drug overdose in alameda county in 2021 that number continued as you can see in this this graph from and that's across the country and around the Bay Area. Um, we have no reason to believe that that number is not going to be higher in 2022. Um, and if we look at San Francisco, who's got a lot tighter um, mortality reporting, their number, their for 2023 numbers continue that, that high um, growth. So that's the that's the the huge thing that we see and saw immediately on our um, mortality reporting, and this year over the last couple of years we're working to improve the the quality of the toxicity testing that they do on on people who die of an overdose to see what was in their body, what kinds of drugs were in their body that caused their death. We compare that between people experiencing homelessness and the general population. We look at both charts and we see that 
fentanyl, of course, is a huge driver of, of homeless overdose deaths, just like it's a huge driver of the general population overdose deaths. But in and especially in Alameda County, two really important things are number one, the combinations of drugs are even more pronounced among um, people experiencing homelessness. And number two, the presence of methamphetamines um, or stimulants of, of the categories of stimulants are, are much higher among people experiencing homelessness as, as you look at that. So that those, those three bad things is fentanyl, the mix of drugs and, um, and stimulants. And it's really sobering to know that of the of the 350 or so people in Alameda County who died of overdose in 2021, um, 41% of those were people with any experience of homelessness in the last five years. Um, and 30% of those people were people who were homeless at the time of their death. So that's a huge percentage of All of all of our overdose deaths in Alameda County are, are, are directly affected on people experiencing homelessness. We looked at the settings of homeless deaths and um, this this thing about un, unattended deaths. Um, so two thirds of all deaths of people experiencing homelessness were outside of a medical setting. Um, and of people experiencing homelessness who died of, of natural causes, acute chronic diseases, um, almost half of those people did not die in a medically attended setting. They died in streets, hotels, friends' places, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that all really calls for us to look at how people die, where people die, and the need for um medical respite and end of life services for for people that are um that are dying uh, we looked at locations cities of last residence um, where people died and you know and we we broke it down by county to see what parts of the county did people die in and for each area of the county oakland berkeley mid county southeast and, and out of county, we kind of we broke those down by the demographics uh, and for for people to be able to to look at regionally for that those deaths. Our next steps are our plan is we're going to do a, a data report. Um, we'll start working on last year's report every summer. So so the 22, 2022 report will start in January. Um, our plan next year is to just improve this system. Um, our goal is to have better collaboration and data sharing primarily first right off the bat with Alameda County um, Coroner's Office and keep pushing to, for better and quicker um, data and data sharing. Um, we're going to talk about the Alameda County Homeless Mortality Task Force to help us interpret and put this data into action. And we also want to work on service utilization so we can not just see who died of what, but what what happened leading up to their deaths? Who got services? What were the touch points along the way? And where were the missed opportunities? Um, so we want to look at more data 
um, in in the system of care, including Alameda Health System, including hospital and um, clinic visits and stuff like that. So we can see if we can find out those those danger signs and be able to, to address those in the settings where people are being seen along the way. Um, and just to, to focus a little bit on, on our very important next step is the establishment of the Alameda County Homeless Mortality Review Team. We've been um, pushing for that for a couple of years and it's, it's actually happening right now. Alameda County Healthcare Services Agency is convening um, leaders from county and city agencies and departments across the county, including the coroner and sheriff's office, um, health department, behavioral health, social services agency, and epidemiologists and stuff. And we are also looking at homeless services and health care providers, community members, and people with lived experience. Um, that group is being seated this, this month. And we're um, looking for community members of the Homeless Mortality Review Team. We're especially um, recruiting people with lived experience of homelessness, but also community members of different kinds. Um, and the, that group will, will come together and work with us to help give us more eyes to analyze mortality data, improve the gathering of the data, and probably do its own thing, develop how it wants to work. But um, some of those options are looking at individual deaths and reviewing in, in depth the circumstances around those, and then hopefully provide us with recommendations to, directed at reducing mortality and um, improving health, as well as the, the, the data reporting systems around that. So um, that's the Homeless Mortality Review Team. And that's- David, can I just say, connected to that, that um, Dr. Eric Anderson, who uh, works at the Bridge Clinic, which is obviously a homeless health center site, um, and also practices in the emergency room at um, you know all of our campuses here at Alameda Health System, and is an expert in addiction medicine, has agreed to serve on the uh, mortality review committee. So he'll, he'll be the one representing us there. Um, that the, the first one representing us. I think it's it, it's open. I think if additional folks want to submit um, applications, but um, he's he's definitely going to be representing us from Alameda Health System. Thank you, David. Yeah. I have a question. Yes. Oh, I, I have a question. Does any of your reporting include the ages of younger people? Many of them die. Many of the people that have died have died from diseases and things like that. But what about the youth that are homeless? Is I would imagine, just imagine that their deaths would be caused more by drugs. Yeah, that and that's an ex, that's a great example of the kinds of questions that we want to um, to get asked by by this group, and then be able to go and do the research on. Um, and we have the data; we can we can answer that question. Um, uh, we didn't; we haven't broken that question down, but I would expect we we would get an answer like that. Um, there, there are deaths of, of young people, 30, 30 and, and, and younger, 21 and, and, and younger, and we can, we can answer that question. I, I couldn't answer it Thank right you. now. There's so many ways to analyze the data. And one of the things actually that we want to do is 
we find that it's there's a limitation in in making a, a written report and a good thing about that but a bad uh, one one way that we can get get around that that we're going to look at for next year's report is to cre- try to create like a computer interface where people can ask those kinds of questions and get those kinds of answers online they can they can match data up with a with a dashboard and ask the kinds of questions and get the kinds of answers that they might that they might want want to be specifically focusing on so um uh, david i have a question Mark? Um, um you're talking about um basically um people being able to get information um by putting up like a uh, some kind of website or board and i'm just wondering uh what about um people who want to uh dive into the actual report that you're presenting and the ones that you will in the future uh how many forms are you willing to offer on um for people to get that information i mean if you would you uh would only relegate it to um uh to digital or would you also um produce um say by by request a hard copy of the reports uh, following reports yeah right now it's available for download it's 50 pages of 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 information to read through um but of course we can print them up and give them to people who 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 don't don't work very well reading it on a computer but it's it's not published in, in on paper right now okay um the one other follow-up question about the mortality uh task force um the, their duty is their duty is different from the other board you were talking about um you were talking about another two entities right the mortality task force and what was the other one um i thought there was another one you said no, I- I think that's the only thing I talked about would be the, the homeless mortality okay. task force that's being created right now. Yeah. On my part, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I was wondering about um, how, how, um, how are you recruiting people to do that? And, and what, if any criteria do you put forth for, for, um, for candidates and, one other follow-up um, in terms of gathering information in general about mortality uh, what about what if any um, um, contributions toward that have any of our partners nonprofit partners have made um, who work in other sectors of of health care for the homeless um what was the question right before that? The, oh, I was asking um, what kind of backgrounds um, other than just. Well, oh, right. Just, for the, for the, sorry. Thank you. Um, no, we've just put put the word. We put the call out um, in, among our provider community and. And not very much broader than that right now for the community for a community part membership. So we're looking for people that are that that know homelessness and know the communities that that were that have that are involved in in stuff around homelessness is is kind of a priority. And the two the two priorities are people that are actively involved in homelessness 
um, for community members. And that could be advocates and that could be um, clinicians, whatever. But the other thing is people with lived experience. Right. And so we've, we've, we've got that one down pretty good. We've got, we've already got a lot of applications of people with lived experience um, to be on this, on this commission, this um, task force. Um, and that's, we've been kind of targeting recruitment on that, that level, but um, we definitely would um, put the call out to you all. If you, any of you, your, the cab members of the HS cab, we have um, on this presentation, there, there is a web link on our, um, on our website and a place to, um, to submit a, um, uh, a application to be a, a member. Okay. And I, I, I did ask um, what if any of our partners, um, yeah, I think partners were providing. Our, our homeless services provider partners, they, they, a lot of them give us a list of the patients that they know that died every year. And another area that they're very interested in, besides um, looking at the numbers and helping kind of develop um, mortality reduction efforts in their clinical setting, is that they're also looking at just the, the overwhelming numbers of people that are dying and realizing that that's that end of life and and death and dying is what is a part of homeless health care services now nowadays that has to be taken seriously so that means on the clinical level having a having a response to deaths to be able to how to break them down talk about the fact that your patient died when you learn about it to learn from those deaths to talk about the, the instances and what happened up to that death to deal with the the trauma for providers and the moral injury to providers that that happens when when people die and to help people that are that are dying and that are still homeless um gain a way to die in in more more dignity and to get better health care to maybe not die but also those that are dying to, to be able to find ways of getting hospice and end of life support so they can die in a, in a more dignified way there's a whole lot going on around that that's also work that's bubbling up that you're going to be hearing more about under this this rubric of um of our mortality work and our partners are all involved in at different levels in that thank you david do you know if the state of california um has any current record of um people 30 and under who have died of overdoses or, or actually specifically i think 21 and under um the reason I ask is, is now that the high schools are going to be having Narcon as a something that's going to be in the classroom or in the nurse's office or whatever, is that as a result of, of statistics that they've gotten? I can't, I can't speak too well of, around statewide statistics like that around um, overdose. I just know that it's the numbers are going up a lot right. and that the, the, the state of California is tracking that information and you know very there there's a, a lot of concern and attention around that and so yeah um 
I know that I just glanced at our, 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 our data right now and of people 24 in, in among the 106 people who died of, in, of over drug overdoses in 2021, um, three of those people were under age 24, um, an additional 15 under age 34. So I, I wanted to make sure people know about the state overdose dashboard. Yeah. So the state has a really nice dashboard, kind of like what you're talking about wanting to have, David, where, you know, you can select your county, you can select it, uh, the type of drug, there's lots and lots of data. So I, I actually haven't looked for age. But, it's called the um, California Overdose Surveillance Dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really like you it just, spend it, hours on it. It just seems like something had to inspire them to um, give the high schools, you know, Narcan or, and the junior hires too, as well. Something had to have um, warranted that need, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, deaths are going up across Right, right, in, in that age group. So part of our part of our our mortality report, because drug overdose is such an, a huge part, the the first thing that slams you over the head when you look at homeless deaths, um, we really wanted to focus on um, drug overdose and how 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 can we how can we push back against drug overdose? So a lot of people had played a role in developing some um, of our major recommendations that are, that are our healthcare for the homeless program. That's our number one real priority right now is putting, trying to put these recommendations into, into action in a variety of different ways. And those recommendations, I'll, I'll make it really short, are um, number one, is to expand and improve harm reduction based substance use and treatment services at the streets and field level, like bringing field based teams out there to provide harm reduction services, reduce barriers, connect people to medication assisted treatment. Um, and right in the middle of that is the um, AHS bridge clinic. And, and examples of that would be the linkages between harm reduction programs and the bridge clinic with the, the substance use navigators, like literally walking people or getting people from needle exchange and harm reduction programs to um, the, the clinic for medication assisted treatment. A second recommendation is like people are talking about expanding naloxone distribution. Our goal is naloxone distribution um, kiosks in every shelter and homeless services location we've started on that we were thrilled on friday to to see the unveiling of um nalox free naloxone distribution um kiosks in um the ahs highland emergency room um and a couple other locations um that happened like three days ago Con congratulations and providing naloxone overdose training to all staff and outreach providers so, and that everybody knows how to use it and everybody's carrying naloxone. A third thing is just improved <laughs> substance use program services for people experiencing homelessness. Um, There's so many barriers to, um, to, to substance use services for people experiencing homelessness and many examples of how 
peer-supported behavioral health contingency management programs with coordination and support for people experiencing homelessness can, can happen so people um, can get that access to care. Um, we look at things, we recommend things like community-based drug checking so we can have low barrier, easy checking of actual samples of drugs at harm reduction sites and at different places so we can know what's so people themselves who are using drugs can know what's in their dope and how they can take steps to be safer when they're using it and we we all know that a big part of drug checking is that when people get their drugs tested and they talk to a person a, a counselor who talks to them about what's in their stuff that's a hugely important harm reduction intervention that can lead people to making really important steps that can stay, save their lives um, we're recommending what's called safer consumption sites and these are support locations that people can go to to get ob observation and treatment while while they continue to inject drugs, but it's a safe place for them to do that. Um, there's examples around the country, including San Francisco, where they made a, a really big dent in overdose deaths by offering safer consumption sites. And then our final recommendation is better data from the coroner's office, more timely communication, rapid review, rapid toxicology testing, um, so we can be on top of surges, outbreaks, or emerging threats and not have to wait two years before we know the data. So those are the kind of recommendations coming out of this around overdose. But David, when you mentioned the task force earlier, mm -hmm. um, um, I now know what I was uh, trying to say. I was trying to find out what was the difference between the task force and the, the Alameda County Homeless Mortality Review Team. They, they are two different uh, entities, right? No, and I probably they're, they're said task same. force and more review team. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you. Right. So, David, you mentioned this earlier, but I'm curious how, so there's 346 deaths last year. Uh, 2021 20 and 2021 so what's the can we know how many of those folks touched this health center the alameda health system homeless services yes um 61 touched alameda health system or alameda health homeless health, homeless health center i'm not sure what your question was yeah alameda yeah. alameda yeah. health yeah. system yeah. homeless health center um, okay, we do so not know. We do not are. know how many people touch the hospital or emergency department, John George, etc. But we do know that 61 of those people uh, um, were touched either by specialty care, Eastmont Wellness, Hayward Wellness, Highland Wellness, Mobile Health, um, the the services that you all are. Um, part of that you are the governing board for. And yeah, and, and that that's the kind of that kind of thing. I would love to be able to break, you know, especially around the, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about the AHS health 
center, the homeless health center. Um, and an, another thing to talk about, like who was seen at, at the, at, in the hospital and at the, um, at the ED, but that kind of, that kind of, re I think would be really important stuff to look at. Um, I, I just, for this, this, um, presentation, I, I did kind of throw some of that together and look at some of the, um, the people that we knew from our data that had been, that, that died in homelessness that had touched the, the AHS center. And it was, yeah, like I said, 61. Um, and at first glance, most of, most, most of the numbers seem reflective of the general population of people experiencing homelessness. Nothing seemed to jump out a, th a th little less than a third died of overdoses. A lot of, um, chronic disease deaths, um, a lot fewer, um, a lot more natural cause deaths than accidental deaths. I, I would venture, um, by just looking at, um, briefly at causes of death of the, of the 61 deaths. Um, so people that w were getting medical care of some sort. David, do you give these totals to the different um, health centers or, you know, that were involved in any way? Who follows up on this, I guess is what I'm saying. So, like, if we had 61 people that we touched in some way, how can we backtrack and say what could we have done differently or what additional services should we have been offering? You know, there's got to be some kind of follow-up there. Right. Well, I guess that's that's where I'm all ears. Number one, um, we've because otherwise we've been, if you don't tell us, how do we know? You know right. I mean? We we we've done a huge pull just to bring all this information together, and and that's kind of our our goal with this with the mortality um, review team, and you know talking to our partners. What do we do now? What do we do with this information? So your your question is exactly is spot on. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, I would assume that every health organization would want to know that. Yeah. Just for the very reason of what what could have been done differently or better. Yeah. yeah. Or what and so, did we miss? Or, so yeah. we have a we have the opportunity because we are using data from the the homeless health center, the larger homeless health center, to to know to be able to give you this information, to give AHS th this information that we wouldn't be able to do the same thing with m many other, you know, like, like I said, with to the emergency department, we don't have that. Yeah, yet. Right. Um, and for, you know, like lifelong, we only know of their homeless patients. You know, we don't know what's, what's going on with the rest of that. And that's where, that's one of those questions that, that we wanna to, to look at in that question of utilization because because this is like half of the picture the other half is what happened what led up to their deaths where were they getting services mm -hmm. and we still have a long ways to go in, in in that i mean i don't want to create a big project <laughs> but <Why not? laughs> it seems like doing a mortality <laughs> review for those 61 people exactly. is something that we would want to do 
It's not the whole Somehow, picture, exactly. It's I know. I, on I, one particular that's outcome, something we should but. discuss, definitely, I think. And I think the AHS as a whole should discuss that. You know, Highland and each, each, and each Eastmont, whatever, you know. Because obviously your goal is to improve. So what did we fall short on? If anything, I mean, maybe we didn't, you know. Right. I think there's a really big context around that. Like, um, one challenge is choosing to focus on the 61 people we did take care of. When I think one of our bigger challenges in the homeless health center is that many people who get care in our emergency rooms and hospitals never come to the homeless health center. And I think we do have to make choices about where we decide to spend analytic energy. And so I think. Dr. Anderson can really help us with this when he is sitting on this task force and or review team, whatever it's called, mm -hmm. and try to help us make sense of where are the opportunities for us? Is, is there an opportunity to try to get Alameda Health System to provide more data to this process so we can look at Alameda Health System as a whole? Because I think that's, that's another effort that we could engage in related to this process that may yield different things than looking at just the 61. So I, I think, anyway, I think it's, it's worth a broader conversation with, I think, um, you know, people who are, who are, who have time that's dedicated to doing mm -hmm. this work. And I think I'm really grateful for Dr. Anderson agreeing to be on this task force where he's going to actually have dedicated time reviewing this data and the level of detail that, you know, that we don't have here. I think, you know, I, I think there may be some straightforward things, we, you know, just in a phone call with David, we could look at those 61 and maybe, yeah. maybe do something with, but I, I really do want us to yeah. be thoughtful about, you know, I think a lot of the data analysis that we do in ambulatory and in the homeless health center is about patients we already take care of. Okay. And I think a lot of our opportunity to do better is about taking care of more patients that we don't take care of here. Right. And and also offering, like we said, a drop-in service. Right. See, see, that all ties in here. You know, if, if they go to the mobile van one time and then they don't get hooked up with primary care in some way, you know, to get the full extent of the services they need. Uh, that's the headline for me. 61 out of all of those deaths, David, like out of the all four years? Out of those 346 deaths, no, out of 2021 only. Out of 2021 only. Yeah. But still, that's one-fifth I mean, of the... Yeah, and that's just, just people that we knew touched touched AHS and our homeless health center through through data matching in our database. And, I, and, and I would not, bet, not the emergency room and not, yeah, not the emergency room. I would bet the emergency room is going to be probably more than half of the deaths. I probably. can't imagine. Right. And so, so that's, the, that's what I'm saying is I think the difference between 61 and half the deaths is a big deal. We serve people when they're in extremists in the emergency room. We don't serve them in the outpatient setting. Right, I know. I know. Yeah. Um, what, um, I just, Damon, if I may ask you, in an emergency setting, what if any kind of information is collected about the, a person, uh, even in that traumatic situation where it is a, a definite uh, life-threatening emergency? Uh, I, I would assume there's probably not a lot of information does get passed um, from the emergency team to most patients getting care in the emergency room can go through the registration process. And so the same data that we have access to here, I think that they don't have access to the data right. because we only report 
homeless health center visits to, to healthcare for the homeless wow. for the purpose of their reporting. Yeah. But Allegheny Health System has access to the data. And so one of, you know, we, we can create a sort of list of things. Analyzing the 61 would be one thing on the list. I think what I would add to it, you know, for Eric to help us understand Dr. Anderson is how hard would it be for Alameda Health System to contribute the level of data that would help us answer more questions about Alameda Health System as a whole? Like and, through the emergency room. Like through the emergency room. That's, that's yeah. A, yeah, the that's hard. So With that said, um, who would be responsible and who would ultimately be able to give the authority uh, for the hospital to give um, this project the information? Well, I, I think, uh, I don't know, David, you probably already had some conversations with someone here, and I, I, I don't know exactly who it would be, but I think I think that the process that you're starting is the way to, is the way to get there. I think, you know, Eric understanding how did you get these data, some of the details behind the methods, and Eric has done uh, a number of analyses of, um, you know, both um, things related to overdose, things related to homelessness, things related to COVID-19. So he has a, a pretty good sense of the data infrastructure at Alameda Health System. And so I think he'll be, he'll be a good representative to this committee to help us answer questions like this, and, and then come back ideally after two or three meetings and give us a presentation to say, here's where I think we could go next with this. Sounds like um, a grant, some grant money could be used for this. <laughs> I'm just thinking. Um, David, one other question regarding the task force. Um, when would you guys like to have um, your board, uh, your task force finalized in terms of membership? And when would you propose to get started? I, th I think it's, um, it's their first meeting should be in June. So it's coming, wow, coming together quickly. Yeah, it might add more people or whatever. But um, the kind of the kind of key thing that the higher ups are working on right now is to find representatives from key, key positions like the coroner's office and um, behavioral health and hospital system and stuff like that. Um, as well as the community and people's lived experience. But that, that's happening presently. Appreciate your presentation. Thank you very much for. All right. Yeah, Thank you all. Yeah, I really appreciate the conversation and the the thoughts and ide uh, ideas. And we'll be we'll be coming back with more. Yeah, definitely. And I'm hoping what we'll hear, you know, is not just analysis and and numbers, but death prevention measures and act active actions that that are, that we can that we can develop that can make a difference. Yeah, I mean, I would maybe just take that opportunity to say, like among the major activities of this board over the last few years is approving the change in scope to add the bridge clinic to our scope, yeah. right? Which has over the course of the last 12 months doubled the number of people experiencing homelessness, relieving, receiving 
medication-assisted treatment in our facility. Um, we started a pilot program with one of our providers going to a syringe exchange site and seeing patients experiencing homelessness as part of mobile health in partnership with HEPAC. So a lot of the recommendations that David's talking about, a lot of the work that he's talking about, we are very much in the middle of already, right? Um, I'm sure, you know, one of the fastest responses they got to be on that task force was from us. Um, so this is an area that I think you all should feel really proud of being supportive of exactly the types of recommendations and the type of work and being really critical in, in making sure that work is happening in our community. And we, we want to be, you know, a part of expanding it, which is, you know, why David's here, you know, right, spending right. so much time on topic. And, and I think we can, we can say we're very much already major allies of, of this effort. Mm -hmm. Right. Thanks, y'all. Thank, Thank you, Just to get, once you get treatment and then after you get treatment. Um, 
being that I experienced one of my parents going through that process, and it's a lot. It's a lot. So I can see why the numbers look like they do. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I'm trying to understand what we're looking at. So this is for all of our mid health system? These are comparisons between, um, sorry, this is your first time looking at it. So yeah. the lighter blue shade is people experiencing homelessness yeah. um, in ambulatory that are getting primary care, um, primarily in Alameda Health System. So it is not just the homeless health center? It is, is it just the homeless health center it? sites. Okay. Um, but it is people who are not experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity are represented in the darker blue uh -huh. line. And so it's a real, it's a comparison of, folks who are experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity um, over the last 12 months in, in a lot of these cases. So, you know, the way that our registry works is once you've been identified as being homeless at a point in time, you remain on the registry for 12 months from that point in time, even if later on you become housed or you become housing secure. Okay. Um, so these are, you know, proxy data. There's not a lot of exactness. And I think it really reinforces for us the idea that there's not really such thing as the homeless, particularly in our system. A lot more of the homelessness that we see as housing insecurity is more transient. And these don't necessarily represent data primarily on people who are chronically homeless, for example. Okay. And the ED data is an exception to that. So yeah, <laughs> um, and there's I can I can you know if you're really interested in the data provide you know some of the numerators and denominators it's from the QIP program if you know any of the state program mm -hmm. and so it's those definitions that come from the state 75% mm -hmm. of the measures that we have access to through this dashboard are for the outpatient setting um, pretty much only and another 25% include ED but it's ED follow-up for folks who are coming then back into our service you know the moratorium for the housing is um, I don't know what Oakland finally decided. I know that San Leandro, the way they're handling it, is people have to do a monthly follow-up. They have to, in writing, say why they're still having um, issues paying their rent that are COVID-related. You mean for the eviction moratorium? And so if they don't qualify because of that, or they can't you know, document it, it has to be done every single month, then the landlords do have permission to evict. So we're going to see a lot of a lot of movement in that area over the next six months, I think. I really do. And not for the better, unfortunately. I heard with Hayward that they completely just said they're going to, that they want to say it's over. It's over, yeah. 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 It's San Leandro added a little bit because um, I was in a meeting when I heard that. Oakland, I'm not sure what they decided. I had heard a date and then they were still arguing back and forth, you know, the city council. And I, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, but I think but this, there's a lot of people that there, this affects. There's a potential for us to see this show up in, in our data in terms of the exactly. number of people who are experiencing this housing insecurity, which would not exactly. show up in literal homelessness numbers, mm -hmm. but, you know, will show up. Uh, you know, if, if you move in, for, if you're evicted and you move in with a, with a family friend or something, you're not mm -hmm. going to show up in a literal homelessness, you know, right, high right, right. you would show up in these data as well. Yeah. yeah. So our second set of data then um, is our 12 months of patients in our homeless health center. Um, and so you can see in the past 12 months we've served um, 
3,523 undepleted patients. So that's on the slide here. And it also then shows um, how many patients are being seen in each of these departments. The following slide then shows that trend over time. So each month, where, where are we seeing those patients? And then it's followed by the visits. So the first, the first two, two are the number of patients, and then the second set is how many visits and where we're seeing those patients. And so these are then duplicated, right? You'll see uh, a single patient could be in more than one place and can have multiple visits. So, so is the Highland Substance um, Disorder, is that the Bridge Clinic? Yes. Okay. So I'm just wondering if you could share your thoughts about how we should think about this. Like, kind of tempting to compare the homeless to non-homeless line, but I'm not sure that's really the right thing to be doing. It's kind of tempting to look for trends. That would be good, I guess. I'm just curious, what, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I think these data that we present on quality and on utilization don't change much over time. Um, that, I think, is the main point, honestly. <laughs> we present, you know, the quality data quarterly. Um, we present the utilization data every month. And I think our system is our system. It, um, it, we have about the same utilization of people who are homeless or not homeless for the last going. I asked Catherine before she left for like the last 10 years of data. and We see about 35,000 patients every year. It, like whether mortality is going like this or whether homelessness is going like this or whatever, our system kind of does this. And I, I think that's the main message that I see in these data. Um, I don't think, you know, that it's easy for this board to manage, you know, packages of quality improvement programs that are related to these individual items. Um, I think, I think really the big picture is what are we doing as a system to make ambulatory care easier to access for larger numbers of people given what we see there. So that's, that's how I think about these data at the, you know, at, at this level, obviously as a medical director, you know, in mobile health clinic dealing with a subset of, you know, 200 of these patients, I think about them in a different way. Um, but when I'm sitting here in a board meeting with you all, I think about the fact that they pretty much stay the same almost no matter what's happening in the outside world. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to like understand the context for that. Like, are they the same and good? Or are they the same and problematic? Like, I well, I think, no, no frame of reference. I think the equivalent of the ones, you know, we talked about, you know, Richard made the comment on, I think they're, it's mostly good that I, I think our patients who are housing insecure um, get about the same care as our patients who are housed with the exception of Right. You know, some of these things that are a little bit more involved than just taking a medicine, right? Or just getting a lab, a lab test drawn or just getting a vaccine. But I think... Um, Does Highland have a mammogram van? Uh, not a van, no. Um, okay. that I'm, not that I'm aware of. Am I missing something? I don't think so. No, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the subpopulation, you haven't seen these data yet, but once a year we, sh we show you what percentage of people are literally homeless versus people who are um, who are housing insecure. Most of our outpatient population is housing insecure. We're, we don't have large programs that are seeing folks who are chronically homeless within Alameda Health System. So 
I think as you and Tammy, you know, on board and we talk, like I can give you more of the sort of context around what is the health center overall. Um, and, and, you know, when you see these data, then what's, what is the picture that it fits in? I know I think I asked this last time, but I forgot. These unduplicated patients are in all of the outpatient settings that constitute the homeless health center, but they are not necessarily homeless patients. They're all homeless patients. They're all homeless patients. Okay. In the last 12 months. In the last 12 months. So they may not be experiencing homelessness today. Right, right. But we don't, we're not seeing like just the Bridge Clinic, for example, people who were fully housed. They're not in this picture. Correct. Okay. Correct. We're only seeing the homeless health center within ambulatory care. And the difference is the in the in the quality, you're seeing ambulatory care, both people experiencing homelessness and, and not. So that's where you're seeing your comparison to the rest of the population within ambulatory, because ambulatory, remember, is all of the patients seen in ambulatory, regardless of their homeless status. Right. And then our patients are coming in and out of homelessness and are representing about a six to ten percent of the population that's seen in ambulatory. But as you are, um, because we're receiving the grant dollars from HRSA, it's the FQHC. And so the decisions made here impact the FQHC, regardless of whether that patient is experiencing homelessness. So it's like the rules apply to ambulatory, whether or not the patient's experiencing homelessness or not. But the status of FQHC is applied because of the homelessness program. Mm -hmm. So the homeless health center, the governing body, yeah. Is, is one of the parts of the FQHC, right? The rules that HRSA says yeah. you must have a governing body that's at least a majority patient like born. That's related to the FQHC, which is related to the homeless health center, but within our setting, we don't, we, that, that doesn't mean we have a separate exam room in every one of our sites that says, this is the only right, one. Right, right, right. <laughs> Everybody wins. And so I'm else. just kind of just like create a ridiculous scenario just to understand. Okay, yeah. so like if this board said, um, we think that um, the dental and oral surgery is not necessary mm -hmm. because that's not a priority. I'm making up a ridiculous scenario. Okay, if it's not important for the homeless population. And we don't want to put resources into that. Would that influence that entire? You're, you're saying that we're actually like the board for the whole FQHC, not just the slice of it that serves the homeless patients? For some decisions. Huh. So it's easier to talk about the inverse of that, mm -hmm. which uh, is adding a service. Mm -hmm. okay. So yeah. when we added the Bridge Clinic, for example, what HRSA cared about. What the county who oversees our um, compliance cared about was what will adding that service do for people experiencing homelessness? And so um, we actually presented the information entirely on the basis of the people experiencing homelessness, not only to this board, but also to the county who had to you know, say yes and then submit the application to HRSA and then also to HRSA. Now, having approved the bridge clinic, now whether the clinic is serving people experiencing homelessness or not, other folks yeah. can also be the beneficiary of the federally qualified health center status of that clinic. We haven't gone the other way ever, um, and it would be much harder to trace how that would work going the other way. If we said you should shut down a service right. because it doesn't serve very many people experiencing homelessness, right. that would actually 
mechanistically be quite hard to do, um, but but conceptually it works the same way. Would her set ever do that? Would they ever say, look at that 137, like, that's not enough to justify doing When we've done expansions in the past, we have sometimes had trouble. For example, um, David and I worked on, when I was in the county, the um, move of Winton Wellness Center to um, Hayward Wellness Center. And Heather also was on that. And um, Hersa got very interested in, well, what's the meaning of this move for people experiencing homelessness? Um, and so we, we had to present quite a lot of information around, really, what's the relevance for people experiencing homelessness? And they weren't satisfied with our first two or three efforts. Um, and the institution as a whole, and I don't mean health system, this was prior to the existence of this body, um, I think sometimes got frustrated with us saying, we're sorry, we, we, can't, we can't make HRSA say it's okay for you to move your FQHC from this site to that site. It really does have to be done on the basis of people experiencing homelessness. And we eventually were kind of able to, to work that out and get that done. Absolutely, like there was an attempt at one point to open a primary care clinic in Alameda, and, and that could not be done. An so, FQHC. You're yes. yeah, right, right. We do have a clinic. Yes, in primary care clinic. Sorry. We have, we have a non primary care clinic in Alameda, that's a clinic in Alameda, but it's not part of the FQHC. Yeah. Which one is that? Marina Well. Important correction. <laughs> As I said, sorry. Um, um, the last, uh, there is a, a couple of small updates in our leadership and advocacy section. Just to just to highlight um, that uh, my work as interim practice manager for dental does end and will be sunsetting this month, so on May twenty fourth, and then I'll be back to uh, homeless health center only with a little bit of COVID stuff. That's just really small. Um, really, it's, it's, okay. it's a homeless health center. Um, there's also, it's not quite included in here um, because it'll be in the next month's report, but but David will also get some sunsetting soon for some of his parts. Newer? The work? We'll, we'll have more official information hopefully next month about okay. my interim responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then in, the, in the meantime, in the meantime while, while David and I are pulling back into our world, um, Terrace is expanding. Um, so uh, there's also a notification. You met Terrace last month when he was here. Terrace Fitzgerald Shaw related to his role as the CAO of Ambulatory. Um, and his previous role had been um, the Vice President of Nursing for Outpatient Services. And now, He's going back to its bowl. So, thanks. <laughs> All right. Um, he's excited, and I think our system is excited about that uh, dual role. And so the details are in the in the right up here that came from the memo that came out to our system recently. So, yeah. if you are in your Alameda Health System emails, you do get these notifications as well. And, uh, that's all I have. Okay. Um, well, I don't think we have any public comment, do we? Yes, public comment can happen through the same as well, right? I, yeah. How is it? How is it? How is it? It was short. Okay. Any comments?
school applicant board member comments? Okay, that's it. Well, then we are officially adjourned at 7.41. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.